evening, Gabe. Where's our Dorkfest? Oh, it's had its day, I'm afraid. But it's never let us down. Finishes orders, dorks. We'll be doing a Gadgets and Gear podcast this evening with modifications. Now pay attention, please. The one-point question will be typical, as will the equipment draft for the two-point question. Revolving selection by dork, naturally. Valid all franchises. In the three-point question, here's a nice little desert island riff. A battle royale based on the equipment we select. We'll use a device called a die, or dice, if plural. The audiovisual will be provided by commentary, so you'll just have to imagine it all. Ingenious and useful, too. Allow a man to stop off for a quick one en route. This podcast has not been perfected after nearly a year of patient research entirely for that purpose, Josh. And incidentally, we'd appreciate the return of all your selected equipment, intact for once, when you return from the field. Well, you'd be surprised at all the wear and tear that goes on out there in the field. Anything else? Well, firstly, good evening, listeners, and I'm sure we won't keep you for more than an hour or so if you give us your undivided attention. I'm Gabe Freemuth, and I'll be moderating this Dorkfest, the podcast, for our focus on the best and coolest gadgets and gear featured in our favorite franchises. Thanks for tuning into us again, and please remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. And you can also find us on Instagram at dorkfest underscore podcast. Before we continue, let's introduce the rest of our esteemed dorky operatives this evening. Firstly, his father wanted him to have this when he was old enough. Dan, have you received the weapon of a Jedi Knight? Something that's not as clumsy or random as a blaster? Something that's a, an elegant weapon for a more civilized age? I got it, but I was hoping that someone would be able to show me how it's used, possibly maybe on some unsuspecting bar patrons, perhaps? He doesn't like you. I don't like you either. Yeah, the trash talk starts early on this episode in particular. Uh, next, a man I know will ensure he won't cross the streams, unless, of course, they set it up in Act 1, so it has to happen in Act 3 in order to save the day. It's Josh! And for the sake of the podcast, please don't deactivate the ghost containment unit. Back off, man. I'm a scientist. Um, I, I love this podcast, Gabe. I'm excited to be a part of it. Let's hope it all stays that way. You know, when we all start uh, having to actually duke it out later, things might not be so rosy. But I appreciate the sentiment now. And finally, last but never least, is Jordan. And I really need to know, where does he get those wonderful toys? Well, I'm just hoping that my performance on this particular podcast won't be so bad that you'll have to clear out an entire restaurant for it. On the note of where you will get those wonderful toys, though, I mean, a couple of things come to mind. Obviously, Toys R Us, you have FAO Schwartz, or if you're a Home Alone fan, you could always stop by Duncan's Toy Chest. Definitely an FAO Schwartz fan. I'll get me a grand, big old piano to play in my living room. Um, who, who on this podcast is old enough to remember getting toys from Kitty City? I don't think I've ever heard. Absolutely. Kitty oh, City. And thank goodness. KB Toys was KB another great toys. toy store. Absolutely. Yep. I was trying to think of KB Toys. I couldn't remember the name of it. Um, the other one, Dan, the one that you mentioned, that 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 is only a, um, that's just a, a toy store of, of lore for me. I don't think I was ever there, but I've heard it in stories of old. How about rain check toy items from Caldors? Anybody else? Josh, maybe, maybe, no. Darn That's it. a lot of words you just said. There. Back off, old man. <laughs> the, uh, the older members or the more seasoned members of our Dorkfest podcast listening contingent will appreciate the likes of Caldors, KB Toys, and Kitty City. You're welcome. Seasoned. Terrible thing to say to a man. 
Uh, it's great to be all together again, dorks. Uh, and this is for an episode I've looked forward to for a while, and, um, and one that I think is going to make particular use of our dorky talents, because today we're going to be talking all about our favorite equipment, gear, gadgetry, and props from the full pantheon of all our favorite dorky properties. We're going to start today's podcast by talking generally about the gear and the gadgets, all that stuff that have stood out to us over the years for one reason or another, mostly just because it's cool, probably. Um, but I think it's a valid excuse just to get everybody up to speed, uh, of course, on how deeply uncool we are. And I guess also to provide context for the rest of the episode we'll talk about as well. Our two point question uh, in that we're going to be drafting various pieces of equipment from our dorky franchises. And in the three point question, you'll get to hear us test out our arsenal in the field in a dork versus dork battle royale on our famed dork fest island. The winner of today's podcast will be the dork left standing. Uh, before we get into all that fun, however, let's stretch a little more with our warm-up question. In the spirit of today's episode, guys, I want us all to name a toy that we never had but always wanted, whether that's something you just didn't get for one reason or another, or maybe it's something that they simply never produced. But why don't we start, uh, let's start with Dan. What's a toy you never had but always wanted? Okay, so for me, uh, the childhood toy realm really centered around G.I. Joe, and I was debating between two particular items, but I am in the end going to say it has to be the Cobra Rattler plane. This thing was just so cool. My childhood friend Michael, of course, had it, so and I didn't, so it was always fun to be able to go to his house and be able to play with the Cobra Rattler. It's a blue plane. The wings, of course, kind of would, would flip up for takeoff and landing. And then when it was in flight, they would level out. This thing had the cannon underneath the nose of the plane. It also had the cockpit where you could fit an action figure and it came with this cool red suited pilot, but then it also had the gunner's turret as well. And so you could stick a little action figure in there. It had a ton of missiles that were all detachable and would fire off as well. Hand firing, none of this, none of this action, you know, none of this spring loaded nonsense or any of that kind of stuff. But then it also, the, the blue armor had little like bullet holes that were kind of like implanted into it. So clearly this, this toy had seen some battle damage, had seen some wear and tear through the years. But I thought just a really cool design. And I always liked when the toys themselves really adequately emulated that which we saw in the cartoon or the movie. The authenticity really came through. And I thought the Cobra Rattler, it was like the exact same that you saw in the cartoon, that which you could play with in person. So for me, never had it, always thought it was really cool, the Cobra Rattler. Excellent choice. Uh, is there a reason you never had it? So I, I should have said this at the very beginning that you know, we as kids were very lucky. Uh, you know, we, we had a lot of cool toys. And Wire so, you know, th there were there were many that we did have. This was just one that, you know, kind of slipped through the cracks, as it were. Um, you know, we had the G.I. Joe General. We had the, the Snow Cat. We had the Fang and the Trouble Bubble. And I mean, all those all those cool ones. This was just one that we, we didn't have. Uh, there, there's no good reason for it, except that, you know, you just can't have everything. This was just one we didn't have uh, outside of all the great ones that we did have. 
just curious, uh, no, nothing meant to impugn uh, any potential gift givers around the holidays. Uh, clearly, uh, not a shortfall, not a, a skill lacking in this family. Um, yeah, that, uh, th that can't have everything philosophy was something that, that Jordan did his level best to, to, to remedy as uh, when he came along a, a few years later. I'm going to go with uh, another toy from that time period that I never had but always wanted from 1984. Kenner made the Ghostbusters Proton Pack, complete with the Ghost Meter and Ghost Trap. I, I'm trying to think now, Gabe, why I didn't have this. You know, coming out in 84, it was probably a little early. You know, I mean, I was only born in 84. So, you know, when this toy was on shelves, you know, the next year or two later, I was much too young to for someone to buy it for me. And our parents were not tremendously jazzed about buying us any any toy that had a shooting like a that was like a handheld gun or to, you know shooting element to it. You know the the small toy missiles that Dan's talking about. We had tons of them, and any gun that a little action figure could hold that was fine. But for some reason, guns that we could hold or you know anything that shot that we could hold and run around with was where our parents tended to draw the line when we were younger. And since this had a had that shooting element, maybe that was why I never got it. But the reason that I'm especially bringing it up today is that Dan mentions the Rattler, and we have tried to reclaim some of our old G.I. Joe toys in, in recent years. Dan and I, I know, have for certain. And those you can do now, but this Proton Pack, even if I had it, I, I, I couldn't wear the thing. Like, I couldn't actually play with it now. So that, it just really feels like something that is gone forever from my, my life. And, and it's, it's a little sad in that way, but it, it fits right into this question that you're asking game. It was an excellent toy. I wish I had it. And now, you know, I just, I, my, the, the podcast listeners and you all get to get, get to wallow in self-pity with me. I completely challenge that if you had this proton pack now, you would not play with it to, to some degree. I, that is a false statement. I, I, I would glue it to, to my son's back. I, I can tell you that much. But that is an interesting question. I mean, at some point they just would have stopped, uh, and certainly after Ghostbusters 2, they probably just would have stopped making them. There's, it's a rarity. They're, uh, they're out there somewhere in some antique store or old eBay shop. Um, for me, uh, mine's fairly simple. I, uh, as a kid, always wanted one of those, I can't even remember what, the, what you'd sort of call them. I mean, it's like a battery-charged kid car. You know, like uh, you get a little mini Jeep or a mini truck. And had I my druthers as a child. Power wheels. Power wheels, you sure. You talk about power wheels. Yeah. yeah, I think that, yeah, thank you very much. That's exactly what it was. Uh, and I always kind of wanted one, and they make this now, which is really what bugs me. I wanted a land speeder so badly. <laughs> I thought it was just a neat little flotation car and uh, just a great design. Always loved it. And uh, they make those now. And Obviously, I can't fit, and I'm certain I could, you know, where I, Elon Musk, either purchase, well, in that case, make a real-life land speeder, but I can't do that. So, never got a power wheels of any kind, and aside from the fact that they're probably just unreasonably expensive for the time, or generally speaking, that they'd probably, after a while, sit in a corner gathering dust, and the battery slowly dying year after year, I probably would have run over the flower beds and stuff like that, and, and my dad, the, my father, as a gardener at heart, just like Samwise Gamgee, would not have, that would not have played well. So no power wheels for Gabo, uh, but let's bring it home. Jordan, what do you got? Josh, it is making me wonder if this is part of the reason that, I mean, not 
the only reason, obviously, but part of the reason that we have children, because as I'm hearing about Gabe's land speeder, I'm thinking like, well, no one will be old enough one day. I'll plop him in one of those things. It, for, for, uh, for my selection, I'm going to go back to the same general era as uh, Dan and Josh. Um, now, they talked about Ghostbuster toys, uh, G.I. Joe toys. I'm going to bring up a Transformer toy from this general time period. Now, I was not born until 88, so I was, you know, not even twinkle in someone's eye at this point. But specifically, the toy that I never had, because in reality, it never existed, was a version of Megatron that didn't look ridiculous. And Dan, I'm getting some nods from you, and I think that you understand where I'm going. Because there was a version of Megatron that came out in that 1984, you know, Generation 1. And of course, you know, Megatron transformed into a gun. The gun portion of him, that looked, you know, totally legitimate. And that might have been another part of the reason why he didn't end up in, in, at least in, in our home. Although in terms of the original one, I don't know if that was a Transformer that we ever had before the purge. You know, we did not have the, the G1 silver Megatron, the, the, the little blaster, the handheld yeah. gun. No, we, we did not have that. We had other, I seem to recall like a purple version of Megatron later on. Yeah. It was bigger, but Jordy, you, this, is, this is the best answer that's been given because you're right. That G1 Megatron is an absolute sin. When when you compare, the gun is fine. The action figure, then the robot version is is a train wreck compared to how bad ass and cool Megatron was in the cartoon. And that's and that's really you know Dan when you were talking during your answer about the toy that emulated what you saw in the cartoon. That's what really crystallized it for me is that this was just such a cool looking transformer that you then couldn't wait to start playing with. And you're like, this thing looks stupid. I don't want to play with it. So I would prefer, and if I could have my druthers, I would want a Megatron that doesn't look stupid. You and countless 80s born children, Jordan, because you're, you're right. Again, the gun was really cool, but then the robot character itself, it was super dainty and like you couldn't play yeah. with it because you'd it get had, him like, set up. Legs. Yeah, and the pieces would fall off and he just, yeah, it, it wasn't, it wasn't then, commanding like, the way Megatron was. And the cannon part of it was huge. Like it, it, was, it, it was very clumsy. That was the scope on top, right? Of the, yeah. Of the Megatron laser, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now the Transformers were great toys. I didn't have many of them, but there were a couple of them I had. It's like small little car models because they made somebody like various sizes. I had like one of those mid-range ones that I held very dear for like several months as a child. <laughs> the little ones they actually did a better job of. Some of the marquee yeah. no, the main ones, yeah. characters they were hard to emulate, and, and Megatron is is the failure I think of failures as Jordan very yeah, astutely pinpointed. It's a huge disappointment. That's a great call, Jack. Excellent work, gentlemen. Boy, um, if we all feel primed, uh, I think we're good to go. So let's throw open the doors to Kivas Fajo's trophy room, peruse our collective memory banks, and let's just talk generally about our uh, favorite standout gadgets, gear, and accessories. Question number one for one point, what are some of those things? I'll actually roll us off here because I think there's an early category we can really start to burn through with, uh, with the James Bond franchise. I mean, you're, you're talking about gadgets gear and accessories he's he's stop number one it's an iconic part of the franchise for 50 years starts off with the uh 
Walter PPK 7.65 mil with a delivery like a brick through a plate glass window. This, I think, is an interesting piece of gear because I think it's it's definitely more recognizable or iconic or whatever yeah. uh, because of the by virtue of the name than the design. It's it's really just a handgun. Like, like we don't see it up close and personal very often. But, you know, it's referred to a number of times as, you know, the Walter PPK. And, of course, what, you know, what Bond is able to achieve with it uh, is devastating. That's certainly true. And, uh, you know, it's true that um, it does benefit a bit from a, a unique name. I mean, there's plenty of guns that are sort of given tossed out names one way or another in movies, but certainly not repeatedly. And I think I do want to say I think the design does have something to do with it. It's used pretty fairly itself i think iconically in a lot of poster designs with you know the 007 logo in there as well it's always part of the brandishing it has sort of become weirdly identified with um i mean to the point where like bond even stuck with the walter brand when he upgraded for a little while in the 90s that's a good point gabe about how how they use the gun in the branding and the gun barrel of course in the the opening sequences i mean come to that I, i think if you go to you know the stuff that bond has uh you brandished one of the best things out there, maybe the gadget of all time that isn't the car that we'll talk about later is the Attache case from, from Russia with Love. I think that might be the classic Q gadget. I mean, this is kind of the pinnacle, I think, of the Q useful gadgetry, and it's in just the second movie. Dr. No, I, I don't think there are any gadgets that really get introduced in that movie. And so then you go to From Russia with Love and you've got this this great bit of spy gadgetry, but it's, it's useful. All that stuff comes in handy. We see Q later on introduce some stuff that's out there, and yes, Bond finds a use for it, but I think there's a difference between gadgets that are inherently useful and then gadgets that we have to sort of shoehorn in a use for in the course of that movie. The attache case from, from Russia with Love is the former. These are gadgets that are inherently useful for any spy out in the field. I think you're spot on with the thought about this being a useful gadget and this item in particular. Um, I think that's part of the reason it's one of the best because I think this was already one of the last times that like the script or a sequence wasn't written around a cool gadget and they sort of reverse engineered it back into the into the inevitable Q branch scene. This one I mean, I'm certain the same thing happens here, but it seems to happen more organically. Bond finds himself in a situation where most of the items in the attaché case sort of come together to be useful all at once. And it is, you know, a part of his victory, maybe even a key to it because it starts, you know, it enables him to get the upper hand. But by the time you sort of move on, we're getting into, especially in like the Brosnan era, I don't remember what brand of phone he was using to control the BMW at that point, but I bet um, I bet the studio wished that I did because at that point it does sort of become a bit like, well, we have to show a phone in this. So what if we showed this branded phone that also does all this cool spy stuff? But also, yeah, when you get to the some of the more ridiculous stuff, I mean, why on earth would you know? In another way, why on earth would Q give Bond an expanding air capsule bullet if not for some producer saying like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if he just blew them up at the end of the movie? Like, all right, well, let's work backwards from there then. That's a, that's a good idea, Jerry. What do you think? Anyway. So I'm going to go I'm, uh, get, get, go ahead and disagree with you guys here a little bit. Um, the phone is a Motorola. I'm almost 100% sure. Um, and I think in Tomorrow Never Dies, that's actually a neat gadget. 
That's a he, great thing. He yeah. uses it as a fingerprint scanner. He drives the car with it. And I think that's a cool scene. If I remember back to the vehicles podcast correctly, Gabe, I think on that podcast, you said that that was a cool scene too. Um, it has the little like taser attachment to, uh, I think, you know, in an era before people or, or right at the start of when people were using their phones for everything, Bond was using this phone for everything. I think that at the time that Tomorrow Never Dies came out, that was a forward thinking, cool gadget. And in terms of the pinnacle of the achievement of Q Branch, I don't see how it can be anything other than the Aston Martin DB5. The attache case, in terms of strictly a gadget, is tremendous. But, I mean, again, hearkening back to the Vehicles podcast, I talked a lot about the DB5 and how cool it is and how much I love it. But that sucker's awfully useful as well. No question. You are obviously 100% right on the DB5. But I want to first offer that, yeah, no, it's true. I came down a little hard and uh, I have... Uh, <laughs> Uh, unfairly so. I've lauded that scene before because it is really cool. And that phone in particular, forward-looking is a good way to think about it. it. Does it's a It is a pretty smart phone for its age, if you will. I probably should have called out watches in the product placement department uh, instead. Casino Royale even has an entire line devoted to it. What watch is that again? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Omega. Oh, say it again, Daniel. But no, it's, it's, uh, it's, and the DB5 is is simply a perfect it's you're right it's the perfect q branch gadget and um yeah the resultant chase makes excellent use of all its capacities and, and i don't think any car since has really surpassed it i mean they keep going back to it even it, it looks like in no time to die we get the db5 back again with um all its modifications uh, there have been many cars since but nothing has really matched the db5 when you were talking about, to, just to bring it back to the attaché case really quickly, when you were talking about how the the usefulness of that seemed organic, I do wonder if that's in part because of something that Dan had said, that this was really the, maybe not so much the pinnacle of the gadgetry, but really the, the, the first, um, you know, kind of fluid use of it that we saw, because as Dan had mentioned, it, there wasn't a whole lot of it in Dr. No. So I'm wondering if that's part of the reason that it felt organic, because it was the first time that we were seeing it. I mean, obviously, none of us were alive when that movie first came out. So that might, you know, poke some holes in my theory. Um, as for the phone, uh, Josh, it's probably a Motorola because Josh is the kind of dork that would know those things. It was definitely around the time when the phones had that sliding piece that came out that you would like type in the, you know, that, 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 that time momentarily when they had like the full keyboards on the actual phones. Yeah, that was, that was a fun time. Yeah. No, I just, I, I mean, I didn't really like to text much. I just like to slide the thing back and forth. Um, but, you know, if we're talking about the Bond franchise and gadgetry, I think we also need to acknowledge the fact that it does a great job of applying these gadgets, not to just Bond, but also to villains. I mean, three big ones that I'm thinking of, you have Ajab and his hat, right? I mean, the iconic thing yeah. that you think of with Ajab is you think of his hat. With Jaws, you have his teeth. Um, and, you know, you have then an entire movie with Scaramanga about a golden gun. So you have not only their ability to apply these gadgets to Bond, but then also to other characters in the franchise too. I mean, heck, you've got Dr. No's robot hands. I always thought that was just like a really thick and like leathery glove. Probably, probably a little, probably not less advanced, I guess. Aren't we no. going to get a little, aren't we going to get a little more background in the new movie? Cause that's obviously who Remy Malik is. If he doesn't already have the hands, we'll probably find out how he gets them. 
Um, I, I think it's great that you guys are talking about, and, and admittedly, I, I started down that road, but we're talking about James Bond movies and you guys are talking about useful gadgets and helpful gadgets and novel gadgets and cool bad guy gadgets. When really, if we're talking James Bond gadgets, shouldn't we be talking about the ridiculous, out of this world, how in the heck did they ever think of that kind of gadget? Because... I think maybe the best question is like, what's your favorite? Oh, you got to be kidding me. They made that gadget, whether it's the umbrella, right? Which, which one is that one from the umbrella that comes down with the spikes? Thank goodness we didn't see that in use because that's an R rated scene. If that sucker ever goes into action, Josh, what movie is that from? I know, you know, that's a Roger Moore. Uh, it's got to be a Roger Moore, right? St- stinging in the rain is oh the quip. God. I know that. Um, wow. My guess would be Octopussy. Okay. But, yeah, that's kind of what I was yeah. thinking too. But isn't that but so where, I, that's where the ghetto blasters? For, no, the ghetto blasters. No, 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 living no, no, daylight. That's living daylight. Living daylight. Um, yeah. That, but like those are in like I, I like those tours through Q Branch. I think that's <laughs> where you get some of those. Yes. Especially ridiculous, like. You asked what was my favorite ridiculous gadget. Uh, I think it, maybe it's a cop out, uh, but I'm going to go to Thunderball and, and like the giant uh, scuba tank that Bond has strapped to his back. I, I like how they make a little quip. You know, Connery says, "And the kitchen sink," recognizing that this thing is absurd, but you know, shoots you through the water super fast and it has. Uh, harpoons attached to it i imagine there's a lot of oxygen in there but like how much difference is that compared to you know a regular scuba tank and a pair of flippers and a harpoon gun which everybody else has probably not all that much difference but it's bond so they make it big and ridiculous i'm a sucker for the scene where bond mistakes uh q's lunch for a gadget i think it was a hoagie that I've always been a sucker for that joke too. I, I, that's a that's a don't touch that. That's my lunch. Is that Brosnan? I'm yeah, pretty sure that, that's Goldeneye. I think. Yeah, yeah, that's a good gag. I think one of my personal fit like this one always seemed somewhat reasonable, and I I always kind of liked the way it ends up played. But I also have a soft spot for the Living Daylights. I always like the little plastic explosive keychain that. Um, oh no, it's got a gas capsule in it too, right? Depending on what tune you whistled. Yeah, and it's got the keys attached to it that open 90% of the world's locks. That's a great gadget. It's a, that's a high claim, but you know what? I, uh, I'm sure Q can back it up. It's probably like 89%. He's just fudging it. He's, he's round. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Real quick. Yeah. Anybody got a few more, uh, favorite bond things just to show. Oh, wait, I got one answering my own question and I'll let you guys do the same also, but we can't let this go by without mentioning little Nelly, the helicopter that fits in four suitcases. Little Nelly is phenomenal. Yeah, it sh- right. It shows up in what, like three giant duffel bags, and and then they put it together. And of course, you know, Bond takes out hel- multiple helicopters, courtesy of of Little Nelly. Uh, my added gadget is another vehicle gadget, the Lotus Esprit in Spy Who Loved Me, because it's a like it's a so super eighties looking vehicle on land. But then he takes it into the water and Barbara Bach thinks Triple X is like, oh my God, what in the hell are we doing here? 
<laughs> no worries. Roger Moore's got it under control, just turns into a submarine. No big deal. So I always, I mean, it's goofy and it's over the top, but in like a kind of a playful, lovable Roger Moore sort of over the top kind of way. The fun side of Roger Moore, not the latter side of Roger Moore. Josh, you might have been, I mean, just from the the hand motion that I saw a second ago, I think Josh and I might be thinking in the same direction, but I've also always been a sucker for the exploding pen with Goldeneye, in part because of that oh, kind of, yeah. or like the organic development of That's it. Um, so and, I'm, and I, and ashamedly, I am blanking on, oh, Boris. I got it. Boris. Like, Boris. Alan Cunham, He's yeah. clicking the pen the whole movie. So I feel like the development of that is just, it's a, it's a nice use of dramatic irony, right? Because we know what's going on. He obviously doesn't know what's going on, but I just feel like the organic development of that gadget is, 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 nice especially after we had kind of you know we're exiting the roger moore phase but the brazen era definitely didn't totally let go of those ridiculous gadgets yeah that's um, a great scene you reference because it, it goes off or it's primed when you click it three times right and boris keeps twirling at his fingers and clicking it twice so at the same time that he's sort of working and yeah we know the bomb is primed and then it's not and then it's primed but like we're counting along with bond you can sort of see brosnan trying to keep track and picking his moment yeah that, that's a good moment Goldeneye has a lot of good parts. Does Sean Bean count as a gadget? Can I draft Sean Bean? He's pretty cool. He just needs to play a villain. Sean Bean does not count as a gadget, but I've always liked in Goldeneye the grappling guns that they use at the very beginning in that sort of like well scene when he fires it off and they kind of ratchet ratchet him in. I've always liked that. The only other Bond thing I'm going to throw out there, Moonraker, the wrist dart gun with a little flick of the wrist, Roger Moore can get himself out of any jam and two different kinds of darts in that little wrist gun. Let's hope you don't use the wrong one. I remember thinking that was really cool as a kid. Like, oh man, why don't they give these to everybody? Yeah, I'm sure everybody can use some. Gabe says that in such a tone that's like, yeah, when I was eight, I thought that was cool. <laughs> How in the world, Dan, do you still at age whatever think that that's cool? Yeah, I, I, I still think, think it's cool. <laughs> when we've reached Moonraker, it's time to move on to the next franchise. Um, <laughs> and for us, that's probably Star Trek. In terms of like gear gadgets, you know, technologically is where Star Trek really excels, obviously, because it's set so far into the future. Maybe the first thing we can talk about is phasers. Great call. Um, and that's, I mean, it is such a they're always equipped with like three things, right? You've always got the phaser, the communicator, and the tricorder. Those are the, that's the trinity of Star Trek technology. Anybody remember what they're all built off of? That one piece of... Oh, the... Uh, I oh, tran the transtator. I think that's right. Is it? Oh, it's in piece of the action, right? My, my guess was a kyber crystal. Oh, God. Damn. <laughs> I guess like, you know, as we're talking about the phasers, interestingly... I'm thinking about this right now you have with Bond the gadgets were always doing something a little bit different right they had to change the the function of the gadget from one to the next and you're really seeing something very much the opposite in Star Trek with the phasers the the function of them is you know is very much the same you have typically two settings stun and not stun 
But what really changes from one to the next, and I think really what Star Trek does so well, is the design of it, right? They're not making the phasers do new things. They're not trying to remake what a phaser should be. They're just trying to make it look cooler. I've always, I, I guess my, my uh, saying for this episode is I've been a sucker for, um, but I've always been a sucker for the, uh, the, um, the, the next gen one, the ones that, you know, just fit nicely, I guess a little ergonomic in that, in that sense, but fit nicely into, into your hand. But I think those have always just looked really cool. Also seemed, you know, to be especially useful in the, in the, in the sense that they'd fit nicely. The whole holster would be easy to remove. Um, but I think the design is, is really where Star Trek hits, hits its mark. Which next gen, Jay? Because you have the first season one, which is a little more oval shaped at the front. Then they get a little more boxy in yep. like and seasons like, three, in like seasons two through, you know, four maybe. And then they get a little like, more slender, yeah, uh, a little, little more sleek as you yeah. get into season seven. Yeah, good, good point. And not surprising that Josh would make me clarify this, but I, I think I'm thinking more like the season two ones. As I'm remembering correctly, they're boxy, but then they're also kind of like triangular in the front. Um, a lot of sharp edges as opposed yeah, to the soft front, edges. Yeah. I think that the evolution of that phaser, because I am partial to that phaser, it just it didn't look like anything else. The original Star Trek phasers, you've got the two, you've got phaser one and phaser two, right? The little handheld guy that's about the size of you know everybody's grandparents flip phone, cell phone when it's closed. And then you've got the phaser two that it clips into. And I always thought that was a neat detail too, that it, you sort of like augment its power or something. But yeah, the, the next generation phaser doesn't really look like anything else out there. That wand-like design, that boxy, ed, yeah, all edges is really cool. I think it hit its zenith in the movies from the next generation. The phaser that is sort of a little more curved, a little more ergonomic, but retains a lot of that sort of angular design idea. I think that hits its peak in first contact. I think that's the coolest one. I think those phasers are all fine and good. For me, Gabe, when you said movies, I thought you were going to go phaser design to the original crew movies because I think the phaser from Star Trek's three and four, I think that era phaser is the coolest phaser. It's still kind of a blaster style phaser, but I don't know, just kind of a, a neater, more sci-fi sort of ray gun style. I, I was always partial to that. Yeah, and I'll round this out. My favorite is the original series Phaser 2, that that pistol. I just, you know, it's probably the first one that I ever saw and imprinted in my brain. This is what a phaser should be. That is a, a really cool design. The, the emitter diode, that little crystalline bit on the front is still unique to phaser design, sort of exposed barrel. I, I have a very fond memory. I still have somewhere in my possession somewhere a uh, prop Emit model, one of those that your dad got me at a toy fair years and years and years ago. Emitter diodes and transstators this is getting technical. Can we just acknowledge how great that moment was? I don't remember what the year was, but when Playmates decided, wait a minute, we don't just need to do next generation toys. Star Trek next generation fans are also probably Star Trek original series fans. And they released the original phaser two as a toy. And it actually was like a legit toy that looked and felt and sounded like the original phaser two. That was a good day. And that's would all, vaporize your brothers. Oh, it was tremendous. <laughs> Only in like the Calvin Hobbes sense, you know? 
it's worth talking to. I mean, you know, it's obviously Star Trek is more than its weapons of war. These are all very cool things. But just to give a brief word to the communicators, uh, I mean, a neat thing about Star Trek too is, sorry, a neat thing about Star Trek also, because there are plenty of neat things about Star Trek too. Another neat thing about Star Trek is how much a lot of their props and, and design have sort of informed the future we're living in even. Because when this all starts, you know, it's 1966 through 68. We don't, not everybody is carrying a communications device with them at all time. And lo and behold, here we are years later and everybody's doing exactly that. We're all carrying around more computing power than took us to the moon in our pockets. We haven't quite made it to tricorders yet, but I am looking forward to the day when we can all wear just comm badges. Cause I think that's, if we're talking ultimate evolutions, perhaps my favorite version of the communicator, I think the comm badge is perfect. My problem with the comm badge is that I, I don't think they use them consistently. Like sometimes you click well, it, sometimes you don't. Uh, like if, when you're in the ship, do you need to click it? Is the computer smart enough to recognize when you're giving a little uh, offhand r remark to, to Riker? And then when you want to, uh, you know, announce your orders to engineering, I, I, I think there, there was some, I agree with you, it's incredibly useful and convenient. I think there's some work to be, done some kinks to be ironed out i don't know if they have perfected on that then yet what do they use on discovery dan well i guess that's older so they still have the flip communicators right oh uh, but you guys haven't you guys have not delved deep enough into discovery to get to season three when they go 900 years into the future yeah and they get and they get the comm badges that are put those old puppies to shame because now not only the comm badge can you communicate they're also self-transporters and they've got sphere data in them which means nothing to you three because you haven't delved into discovery yet but trust me it's super useful but do they shoot poison tip darts the real measure of no because that's reserved for super gadget. cool moonraker <laughs> I think tricorders are amazing too. Yes. I, and it's really 50-50 for me about which tricorder is cooler, the next gen or the original series. I, I genuinely don't know which I prefer. I love the design of the, because it's so mysterious of the original series tricorder. I don't quite know how it works. It sort of, it sort of has a screen, but it's really small and it has a bunch of other readouts on it and, a, and like four buttons. Mysterious is a really sweet way of putting that, Gabe, because it well, one, one quarter of it flips open. And you're right, there's a very tiny little screen and two readouts. And it's like, what in the hell is that communicating? But it looks cool, so we kind of don't really care. I've always been partial to the next generation little tricorders, the way they kind of flip open. And I really like, I thought even better than the regular tricorder, the medical tricorder that had yeah. the, little, the little medical reader that pulled out the top. I thought that was always really cool. The original tricorders are cool, but I am totally with you, Gabe. In terms of logistically how in the hell they work, I have no idea. I always just liked that the original ones were trying to bring back the man purse. I, it, it's sort of like a satchel too, right? You know, it's almost, there's a little pocket in there. Maybe you can keep some things in, you know, your, your license, your, your, your uh, credit cards, because I'm sure they use credits. Snacks, I mean, in their defense. for away missions. Oh, absolutely. You need your snacks. Unless you're a red shirt, in which case you're not going to be getting to them anyway. But the, I mean, in terms of the, 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 the satchel kind of element of it, it's, it's far easier to carry that way. Like, you know, if you're in, if you, if you're part of the next gen crew, you're carrying your phaser, you're carrying your tricorder, all of a sudden you're going to need to start like wearing cargo pants. And if you go back to the like season one, there weren't room for pockets in those uniforms. 
No, it's, it's interesting to note, too, that there's a weird, like, unwieldy clip for the next generation tricorder sometimes, too, that just sort of sticks off the uniform. And, of course, I'm for not to let the original series off the hook, there's always that great, like, clearly Velcro sound as they rip their tricorders off the belt and all that, like, 300 years into the future and, you know, or more than that even. It's 23rd century. We still haven't perfected upon Velcro. <laughs> Do, do you remember uh, do you remember the next generation action figures because they had that oh, yeah. little that little hip <laughs> yeah, satchel did. on yeah. there but the tricorder didn't fold so the tricorder was opened up and you just would jam in the open <laughs> tricorder into the little satchel on the on the guy's hip yeah you like wedge it in there you have right. to kind of like turn it <laughs> cockeyed to, to get it to fit in there does anybody else remember going back to the original series tricorder the original series tricorder keychain that our dad had that f made noise when you flipped it up. I was always so insanely jealous of that. Well, because it was like a mini tri. It looked, exactly. it looked legit and it sounded good too. So it was like, oh my God, that's a real tricorder. I mean, it's not, but boy, howdy, it looks really close. Close as we're getting. <laughs> that is a good point. I think something that stands out about like why we think the tricorders stand out for us is actually the set, like the design is great, but it's the set, the specific sounds they make, the sound design of those things that also sticks with us. That's like, oh, wow, this is doing something really technological right now. Why, how do you know? Well, can't you hear that? I mean, that sounds really scientific. That Boy, sound yeah. emitting. Because, Boy, ben, because ben Burt has taught us oh, how to recognize these, these sounds. If only someone had done a dorky sounds category in a recent pod, in a recent dork fest. Huh, well, <laughs> let's just bypass that real quick. <laughs> Because it's worth talking about, too. There's not a lot of, you know, I don't know if we need to go so big as uh, all to the, the starships of, you know, that's not quite props, gear, and equipment. That's a little more large scale. But there's a few light craft in uh, Star Trek that are worth talking about. The shuttlecraft, I think, are always pretty cool since I'm on a streak of claiming perfect designs. The runabout is one of the coolest things that Deep Space Nine gave Star Trek and a host of cool things that Deep Space Nine gave Star Trek. Jordan brought up the cool tech for villains in Bond. The bad guys in Star Trek also get some cool stuff. In my opinion, none better than the Klingons, the hand-to-hand the -hand stuff that they have to work with. Batleths, Doctog knives, pain sticks are an interesting window into Klingon culture. And then they, uh, Worf switches up his weapon of choice when he moves on to DS9, I guess less storage space. He's got to go for the, the smaller one uh, called a Mechleth. And then the Klingon disruptors were pretty cool, but the coolest thing about it was in Star Trek Three, the little rifle stock attachment that you could like clip onto the back um, to, make, to turn into a disruptor rifle. That was pretty cool. I was always a big fan of the next generation shuttlecrafts. I really enjoyed the kind of rounded I, I know I know they eventually became a little more angular, but I really like the first season kind of rounded design. And then in terms of baddie design, I think the Romulans got the high end of the next gen design, both in terms of ships with the Romulan warbirds, but I also really like the Romulan like hand disruptors. Just the, the kind of like handgun disruptors. I thought those were really cool. They had kind of like a, a like a looped handle around like where you actually would, would hold the disruptor. I thought yeah. that was a really cool design as well. I, I agree, Dan. Those always stood out to me as well. Um, just as it's because it's almost like a dark twin to the phaser at that point. You know, it's almost like this could be another phaser. But also, I like the distinction in the, the Federation has phasers 
you know, the Klingons and the Romulans, they have disruptors. They have this other, like, mysterious sounding thing. And so certainly, even by effect, they seem a little meaner. I just want to note real quick the weirdness of the early days when they were trying to make the Ferengi a thing. And the Ferengi whips were such a curious element. Um, I, I, it's unique. I, I, I don't like it, but I've never, it's never left my head. I was just going to bring that up too, Game. That, like, I, I don't, I didn't want to bring it up and necessarily say that I thought that it was cool because I don't it's think not. that it was. Um, but I think that they, I guess what I want to say about it is I give them credit for for potential for trying to go there right like you have disruptors you have phasers and then you're trying to kind of like bring in another type of weapon and i think that i appreciate the effort the execution is nah well that was that was season one when wesley was going to be basically the focus of next generation and the ferengis were going to be the big new introduced villain in that series and they were not it's only yeah, but they but they were not like mercenary peddlers at that time. They were they were far nastier than that. And while the whips were pretty dumb, I agree with that. That Ferengi Marauder ship design was awfully cool. Yeah, completely agreed there. That's a that's a good design. I want to give a shout out too to a handful of the uh, Bajoran design of stuff that has been out there too. I always thought the weirdly triangular Bajoran phaser pistol that Kira had was uh, was a neat thing. Cardassians ones I always thought like I think their ship design is kind of cool because it is different. I didn't think their uh, the design of a lot of their other stuff outside of like their uniforms was anything to write home about. I like their iconography, I guess. As I'm thinking about it now, the the Cardassian disruptor, I, I feel like it looks kind of similar to the Romulan one, and I wonder if that's part of what's like you, like you look at it and you're like, eh, it, it's kind of cool, but it's it's not a Romulan one, so it's not that cool. And I think it, you know Star Trek maybe found the right balance in there too when they realize you know we don't always maybe have to do if we have a cool villain if we think of something cool and we have a new villain maybe they have a new weapon but it's almost like they have a settled amount of tech in the universe but by settling on this sort of you've got a phaser you've got a disruptor maybe you've got an older model you know the cage style laser pistol however you want to play it but like there's sort of a settled level of you know known tech that's kind of an interesting way to balance everything out gabe i know you said that we weren't going to necessarily talk about bigger ships but but uh, Dan brought up the Ferengi Marauder, so I feel like this is my opening. Deep Space Nine and the Defiant. I mean, yeah, it, it's 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 just simply the best ship in the Federation. Uh, the Defiant is a, is a really, I agree, it's another cool design marvel, especially for like the Star Trek ship design in general. Kind of upended what I think spaceships could look like, and the Defiant is such an interesting like reduction of that concept. To it still has all the same things. It's got a saucer. It's got a nacelle deflector plate it's just all on one sort of disc shaped thing yeah it's, it's a great classic design well since we're talking all these vehicles now we might as well jump over to the the other star franchise here and, and discuss the wars we've done the trek now we've got the wars here going from vehicles and star wars again i got to bring up the land speeder i don't know why as a kid that really stuck with me it's just that might be your little alert two unit hit the accelerator it's kind of, it just, it's basically, I'm sure it's like the galactic Tatooine equivalent of like a beat up Chevy pickup. There's that three engine design. I mean, it just looks perfectly futuristic and yet it's so beat up. It's that aesthetic that really makes Star Wars work, I think. I think the Landspeeder might just be a good mascot for it. Yeah, Gabe, I like the way you wrote it in our show notes. Dusty, half-broken, futuristic Western design. Every time we talk about Star Wars, we talk about the used future, how it looks lived in. Yeah, the, that's exactly the gadgets, the technology, the 
the vehicles, small and large, the, the feel of all this stuff, how that is conveyed to us, even though we can't hold it in our hands through the movie screens and with Mandalorian through the TV screens, uh, is, is really the, the truly special thing about Star Wars. The story sort of, because Star Wars is a great example of just fantastic production design, I think. It's all in service of an aesthetic. You know, it all sort of fits. It doesn't necessarily have to make functional sense, like in Star Trek, which often strives for that. It just is used. You know it works because somebody's, you know, this thing's dusty and rusted and it's going to break half the time. Um, or it's, you know, unique to, or it's a character piece, you know. I think we all associate, like, Han with his blaster. That's just, you know, that's iconic to him. Chewie with his bowcaster, same thing. And that's something I always thought was cool about, you know, in Star Trek, it's a little more organized. Everything's standard issue. A phaser is a phaser. But here, you know, Han has a different blaster. Chewie has a different blaster. Leia has her own kind of blaster. Mando has his own blaster now. You know, it's, that becomes sort of part of a character. Yeah, Gabe, I think, you know, as you're talking about that, I'm thinking about the kind of the the simplicity of the design. Um, and and to a certain extent, especially as we've seen in the sequel trilogy, that they're not really going out of their way to change the design as much as Star Trek did. You know, in terms of the simplicity, it, you, you brought up Chewie's bowcaster, which is ostensibly a crossbow that you yeah. know, doesn't doesn't fire a bow, but, you know, you Little fire some sort of you yeah. know, particles. Um, but, and I, and I think that's part of the the strength of Star Wars. And it goes back to what, you know, Josh alluded to in, in the sense that every time we, we talk about Star Wars, we talked about the lived-in universe idea. They, they didn't try to make something new. They took something that was already real and just made it work in this futuristic universe. I mean, for me, when it, when it comes to weapons, I, Star Wars handheld weapons, for me, it's the bowcaster. That's the one that I always go to, the one that's just, it, it, it's unique in this universe, which is maybe something you can't say quite so much because the, you know Stormtrooper rifles, they, even when they change, they don't change all that much. Blasters, yeah, you know, everyone has their different blaster, but to me, like when I look at Han's blaster as, as opposed to, you know, Cassian's blaster, that they're different, but they're not, they're not really different. Whereas the, the, the bowcaster, like that, that's Chewie's only Chewie use. Well, not only Chewie use that. Thinking about these weapons in comparison to Star Trek, I'm thinking about the, the distinction, how with Star Wars, it's meant to feel more real, more lived in. And all these blasters, they fire like essentially like Jordan, you made me think of it when you were talking about this like energy particle, but it's one burst, almost like a bullet. Like we are more used to, you know, if not seeing in real life, certainly the, the four of us, but at least seeing, being more aware of and seeing on TV and in mo movies more often. Whereas in Star Trek, it's that steady stream. And Star Trek is supposed to be a little bit more distant and futuristic and idyllic, I think. And so I think that's interesting the way that they had those two choices that really did, in my opinion, kind of match the universes they were, you know, they were playing in. Well, and as Jordan pointed out, you know, Star Trek is all those, you know, the Federation, the good guy weaponry is, has the two settings or various settings, but one of them is stunned. And it's very rare that you hear stun called for. It exists in Star Wars. It's just that it seems that people opt not to use it most of the time. But I think it's, you know, if we are still talking handheld, it is of note, I think, it, a lot of the original, like A New Hope weaponry, 
um, a lot of those frames are built on like disassembled and weirdly reassembled like World War II stuff. Like a lot of these things, like Hans Blaster, if you look at a, a certain kind of Luger pistol, you're basically seeing 60, 70% of what became Hans DL-44 Blaster, as they call it in, you know, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. I think it's just interesting too, that yeah, that too, I guess, sort of folds its way into the feel of these things. You know, they're a little more used, they're a little more, they're built on familiar, we recognize them for what they are, maybe a little more readily. But if we're talking handheld weapons, I think we have to go to the other notable entry uh, from Star Wars. The, if we're talking uniqueness too, the lightsaber, which I don't think there's an uncool lightsaber, frankly, by its very nature. I think a lightsaber is cool. I'll just say that. You can feel free to disagree with me, but if y'all had a lightsaber, I don't think you'd care what the hilt looked like. You'd be stoked you had a lightsaber. I know I would be. There might be I would argument. argue that Count Dooku's lightsaber is kind of lame. No, man. I no, know it's yeah. different, but that's such a design, like, rarity. It's so, it, it, again, it's reflective of the character. It's so and, weird. And, and, and this coming from the guy who was a fan of the ergonomic next-gen handheld phaser, which was designed to hold into your hand in a nice, cozy manner, and that's what Count Dooku <laughs> got for himself, <laughs> and now you're, like, kiboshing It's it. very different when you're trying to fire, fire a beam in one direction, but... When Which is the exactly lightsaber, what a lightsaber is. No, it's not. The beam <laughs> continues going, but presumably infinitely. The lightsaber is ostensibly a sword, which you would want to be able to hold upright. If I want to hold that, 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 if I want to hold Count Dooku's lightsaber upright, I've got to like tilt my wrist up. That's totally uncomfortable. That's not ergonomics. I think that just speaks to you know, he's more of a of a fencing kind of a fighter when you watch him. Like he's it's almost like an epee. Oh, so like it, so like if Jean Luc Picard had a lightsaber, he would totally have Count Dooku's lightsaber. Oh, if, if, if Sulu had a lightsaber, <laughs> <laughs> Gabe, I'm with you. There's there's not a bad lightsaber in the bunch, despite Jordan's abhorrence of the Count Dooku lightsaber. Oh. I'll, I'll I'll take. I mean, I'll take the Kylo Ren lightsaber. I'll certainly, as we know from a prior podcast, I'll take the Darth Maul lightsaber. But there's also just something classic about. You know the original blue lightsaber, the, the and rebuilt green lightsaber. Like either, you know, a, any of those are are phenomenal. I'll, I just I wanted to quickly throw out a couple blasters, handhelds that I thought were were unique and and I always enjoyed Boba Fett's blaster rifle, whatever that is called. I always thought that was kind of a a cool design, yeah. and, and I had not considered it but somebody else had had thrown it out in the show notes the speeder bike trooper little blasters i mean those things were real dinky but they were kind of a cool little design sort of the walter ppks of the star wars yeah yeah sure and they also fit really nicely into the action figures hands some of those star wars action figures with their blasters they would not stand the way that you wanted them to and it made setups really awkward those speeder bike blasters they just clipped right on in the guy's hands no fuss no mess they were perfect their functionality is cool too because i always remember them being attached to their legs which makes sense considering you know what do we call them we call them the the stormtroopers that are on speeder bikes so just kind of the functionality of that i think is cool too yeah, the speeder bikes themselves are actually pretty cool. That would be, that was always like on my short list of dream vehicles I could have if given. I mean, I'm certain I would crash and die immediately. Those things are fast, but uh, they're pretty cool. He must have Jedi reflexes to 
operate something like that. Well, I do not. Then again, probably most of those scout troopers don't either. Yeah, I guess maybe those guys, although I think they were a step up from your average, your average stormtrooper. I don't know. Han seemed to get that one guy just by tapping him on the shoulder. Hey! Hey! <laughs> uh, anybody else have a few Star Wars, uh, you know, favorites that they'd like to rattle off? I, I agree with Dan. The There is something about the OG blue lightsabers, but I think I err on the side of Obi-Wan's there. Partially, too, because I, I think, as I stated before, I like Luke's Return of the Jedi lightsaber, which is modeled off of that. Obviously, the original Skywalker lightsaber is cool, too, but that hand has maybe been slightly overplayed over time. I'm a big fan of of Mando's rifle in the, in the the new series. I, I think that is that is just super cool. And the only other one that I'll throw out there is in doing a modicum of research. I the staccato lightning repeating cannon from Bayes from Rogue One. That thing is nice. super unwieldy. Like I and my my slight weak frame, like there's no way I could carry that thing into combat. But Baze is built a little better than I am. And if I could wield it, I think it would be cool to do so. So when I saw that in the theater, the thing it reminded me of, speaking of toys that, that were never actually made, do you guys remember, I feel like every summer when I was in elementary school, there was rumors about this new super soaker water pistol which would have a water tank strapped to your back and then like a hose coming and then you'd shoot the water through with like a big cannon but that's what that reminded me i was like that's it that's the that's the super soaker x6000 which right. they were always supposed to make when i was in like fourth grade but they right. never did he basically had a fire hydrant attached yeah. to his back <laughs> Dan, as you were talking about Mando, I, I also just thought of the Beskar staff. Um, and now I can mention that, too, now that Gabe is finally all caught. Well, Gabe, you are caught up with Mandalorian, right? I'm all caught up. This is the way. Woo! Not all waiting right. for Pops anymore? No, we all caught up. Everybody's good. But I think that's a cool play on the alternate Jedi sort of take, which I think, you know, just kind of generally speaking is a cool thing that Mandalorian is doing. But also, you know, just kind of in connecting. It, it's not quite a lightsaber but it's like a lightsaber and then also just the dueling powers with it i think that's definitely a cool component of it as well i really need before star wars stops producing at the rate it's producing i need for there to be a lightsaber building sequence in live action i feel like we were going to have that before the end of the skywalker saga we didn't get it i want one it shouldn't be just give 20 seconds that's all i ask just assemble a lightsaber with a kyber crystal in front of me give me the color i'll be happy that's all i just want to see one of these things built it's supposed to be like a big thing for a jedi we've seen a lot of jedi never seen one build their lightsaber does it need to happen in rivendell too <laughs> uh you know it depends on how many pieces it starts in you know if it's too few you can just give it to the dwarves but if it's like you know a dozen or more, then yeah, the elves do it to you, do it for you for a special. Good God. <laughs> uh, you know, with that, maybe it's best to, uh, let's wrap this one up, but let's afford ourselves the same uh, opportunity here to just rattle off some stuff we think is cool. And I'll, I'll start too, since I just mentioned Middle Earth and we were getting here anyway. I think part of the coolest thing about what we're talking about here is that, yeah, I know we're talking about phasers and tricorders and blasters and and all kinds of various nonsense. But all of these things are part of the world building. And I think some of that production design is nowhere better reflected than in the Lord of the Rings trilogy in particular, but Peter Jackson's Middle Earth at large. Everything you see on screen means something. 
you know, the designs are so unique to every race. And I, and I think a lot of my favorite production design, because it seems to hit this iconic, but also old, you know, imaginative, but familiar tone that, that seems impossible. I mean, as good as these movies are, obviously I've gushed, I've gushed about them before, but every tunic, every bit of armor, every etching on, or, you know, weathering on the sword or a bow is, is perfect. And I think they're all really neat props. Uh, that said, I think Sting is phenomenal and all the various ways they shot, all the various one rings they, they factoried for this, uh, this film and the various shots are, um, it's, it's hard to make, I think, an iconic prop out of something so simple, but maybe that's the key. So outside of that, I just want to give a shout out to to Batman's utility belt and all his various gadgetry. The uh, the grapple gun in particular, I think, is a um, an iconic piece. Of course, the batarang, but it's harder to get around if um, you don't have a bit of rope. Is the utility belt the attache case of Batman? Probably. That thing is kind of uh, plot specific sometimes. Just so happens he's got some shark repellent bat spray, and uh, it's a good thing he did. Never leave the bat cave without it. No well-dressed man should be without one. Uh, I'll I'll just mention um, Men in Black is a is a movie that had some some neat gadgets. The the, the noisy cricket that Dan, you want to talk about a, a small pistol that Tommy Lee Jones gives Will Smith. That's a funny little gag, and I like their car too. And I like Will Smith's line about unlimited technology from all the universe, and we drive around in a Ford POS. That, that that's a fun movie and it's got some neat little some neat stuff in it i'm pretty sure we totally had the little toy of that uh of that little blaster as well at some absolutely point. you guys yeah, made a really did. annoying noise yes correct <laughs> it, yeah, really it definitely did yeah great toy though i had a neuralizer i thought those were super cool for a while no men in black is a striking bit of production it's that like super chrome like millennium futuristic everything's building upon itself it's great I have just three little things I want to throw out there from, they're from TV shows. Uh, we, have, we have talked zero Johnny Quest, and maybe this, maybe this will come up later on. But there is, uh, in doing a, a smidge of research and refreshing my brain, the underwater prober from Pirates from Below. This is the one that's on treads. When I saw it, I thought it looks like a shuttlecraft underwater. It's yes. the one that has those mechanical arms that can crush, you know, an enemy sub or can grab Bandit by the collar if need be. So I, I always thought that was kind of cool. And then two bits of G.I. Joe design that I thought were really neat. Josh, you'll certainly uh, be able to recall these items. The backpack for dial tone. It basically is a giant backpack with then a pull down like speaking device. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's it's literally it's a cell phone. Yeah, that's, uh, that's the size of a backpack, wears on backpack on his back. Yeah. But it's just a really cool design, and from an action figure standpoint, it was always fun because it fit him perfectly. And the little mouthpiece came right in front of his mouth. It was very realistic, very cool. And then the, the piece of weaponry that I'm going to throw out there. Also from G.I. Joe, the action figure Alpine had this really cool like grappling rifle gun. It was like a rifle, but it had clearly like a grappling hook piece at the front of it. It didn't detach or anything, but you, you know, you're six and you use your imagination that that's what it's going to do. And obviously Alpine was the character that traversed mountainsides and whatnot. And so it was just a really cool accessory to go with him. So those are, those are the last three that I want to throw out there. 
the only one I'll throw out there, uh, my wife will be proud of me for this one because she's a big fan of this franchise. Um, I'm going to go into the Harry Potter world and talk specifically about his invisibility cloak. And, and I guess part of what I think about is cool about this in sort of the larger discussion that we're having, because I think this falls more into the realm of gadgetry kind of like what we've talked about with James Bond, then weaponry with what we've been talking about with Star Wars and Star Trek. And with a lot of the gadgetry of James Bond, to a certain extent, it was one and done. You used it in one movie, and then you might have used something very, very similar in a later movie, but it, but it looked different. And just the carryover value of that, um, it was very much a part of his character and something that came in handy in, in, in quite a few of the different situations that he found himself in. It's a uh, great call, Jay, and a, a great thing to bring up too. There's a lot of great design in the in the Wizarding World films as well. Um, they too, I think, hit on a really particular kind of spooky. I don't know how to exactly how to call it in the production design, but it's just engaging and cool enough to to be uh, to, to really work for what they're doing. The invisibility cloaks are good. I, I love its sort of silvery reflection. You can sort of see it sometimes when it's not on somebody or as they're taking it off. That's a neat effect. Uh, guys, this is a lot of excellent ground we've covered, and I and I hope all our listeners at home are still bearing with us because uh, I know we got into some of the nitty gritty here. And if you're still with us, bless you for doing so. We're going to reward you at the end of here because we're building toward a phenomenal climax in this episode. Before we go too much further, I want to uh, just congratulate all the dorks here and and give out the one point here, which I kind of forgot that I would have to do uh, in all the fun we were having here. So. Boy, this is going to be um, really tough. But but honestly, I've been really enjoying Josh's bits about Men in Black. So honestly, just for Men in Black, Josh is going to get the point because I think that's a, a maybe a diamond in the rough in terms of production design. That first one in particular. So Josh, one point to you. Bad luck, you gents are in the rough. It, it is good that we have covered a lot of ground here, guys. We, that we've introduced our listeners, let's say, to all this various stuff. Because now we got to saddle up, lock and load. We're moving on to the two-point question where we are going to assemble our kits for the mission ahead. Here are the two-point question. All the dorks are going to select our arsenals. We're choosing our equipment. Five total pieces of equipment based on uh, a couple of categories we'll introduce to you here. Um, doesn't necessarily have to be part and parcel of what we've talked about uh, before, but hopefully you've got an idea about where we're leaning with this stuff. We'll be choosing items in a draft fashion from the following categories. Uh, anything considered hand-to-hand think a sword or uh, maybe Wolverine's claws, anybody that wants to do something like that. Next would be sidearms. Here you can think uh, any of those phasers, blasters, bonds, Walter, PPK. Third category is stuff that goes boom. A lot of fun to be had there. Fourth category is vehicles. Final category is wild card. Anything that uh, the dorks like that maybe didn't fit into any of the above categories. The draft is going to start with the winner of the one point question. So it's going to start with Josh. I will go last, uh, and in between there, Dan, Jordan, I'm thinking of a number between one and five. What is it? Dan, four. you first. Oh, well, okay. Dan got it. It was actually four. Jordan, yes. you wanna, do you want to chime in here, or um, do you want yeah. to request a recount? I can offer you a flipped coin or a rolled die if you choose to contest. I mean, I, w- I was going to say four, but I suspect that your, that your coin just has two versions of Dan's face, so we'll just let him go ahead. As all good coins should. Well, yeah, but one of those faces is crossed out on like on the tail. Obviously. <laughs> Here, let's go a tiebreaker. I'm, guys, I'm thinking of a number between 1 and 50. Go. 24. Jordan, 
39. Sorry, Dan. Jordan, you first. 39. Dan? 24. The number was, in fact, 37. So, in a stunning reversal, Jordan gets to go after Josh. The J-Boys start us off, and uh, the firstborn will round us out. Draft order will be Josh, Jordan, Dan, and then myself, which we will then go in reverse order on the next and so on and so forth until we complete the categories. Gentlemen, any questions, last words? Let's do it. All right. Josh, our first selection here, what is your hand-to-hand item? I am going to go with, from the Star Trek universe, in the episode Amok Time, the Lirpa. I definitely want my hand-to-hand to be something that has a bladed edge and a blunt instrument. I think this will serve me well, the Lirpa. Jordan, what have you got next? You, you bet. That was my number one, too. No way. I thought it, it was. was. Afternoon. It was. Yeah. Wow. No, absolutely. Well, um, what's your number two there, man? Well, I'm not going to go with the other um, Amok Time weapon, the Amwu, which I'm pretty sure is just like a scarf. <laughs> a scarf. <laughs> yeah, but it's a scarf that like makes a cool sound when you swing it. And, and, it's, and yeah. it's got like a rock at the other yeah, end, right? Or something? Yeah. Well, it actually, with with me really being the fashion forward one of of the four of us, it's multi-purposeful. So I don't know, man. Maybe I'm thinking about it a little bit more. Ultimately, I'm also going to go from the Star Trek universe. This this may seem like a bit of a gimme, but I'm going to go with the Batleth. Just a cool design. It doesn't necessarily have the blunt instrument that the Lirpa does, but might be able to stab that blunt part of it with the Batleth. The J-Boys really are thinking alike because that was my number two. Wow. Oh, this is already fascinating, and I'm loving it. Dan, to you for your number one pick. For my hand-to-hand selection, we will be going also in the Star Trek realm from the episode The City on the Edge of Forever, the Dr. McCoy hip chop that neutralizes all <laughs> unsuspecting transporter attendants. Wow. Not a prop. We'll totally allow it uh, as a hand-to-hand bit of it's combat. A, that is it's totally a gadget good. of a sort. How is it a gadget? <laughs> you're, you're not making a good case for yourself here. I already said I'll, I'll allow it. You don't have <laughs> I suspected that we had to have hands involved. And so... And certainly you fulfilled that mandate. So there we go. Enough said. An excellent selection in judo chop too, by the way. Uh, a particular and particularly effective selection. Fantastic. Um, I'll round us out. My hand-to-hand selection is going to be Gandalf Sword Glamdring, uh, as seen in Fellowship and uh, some of the various ones thereafter. Uh, I always thought that was a particularly cool bit of design, and you can't go wrong with an elven forged blade. Nerd. <laughs> yeah, that's why we're all here. I can't wait to put my McCoy hip chop against your bat lefts and your Gandalf swords. Any given Sunday, man. Just don't turn your back to me because otherwise you're in trouble. Toast. If Dan has a good stealth roll here, it's over for the rest of us. Um, All right. Wow. So uh, I think that puts me up first for sidearm. So my draft here is going to be the original Power Ranger blaster. The original Power Ranger crew had this, uh, they all had one, they all had their unique weapons that would combine for, you know, the, the Mega Blaster, but they all had the same kind of sidearm themselves. And I always thought that was a neat, you guys had a toy of this, I think, that I uh, always enjoyed playing with. 
it, it, it's red, it's spiky, it's got sort of a bayonet blade attachment, and it's got a couple different firing types, as I recall. I think it's a, it's a good and trusty weapon, so that, that'll be my, I'm taking the Power Ranger Blaster. That's a great choice, Gabe. Very, very cool design, and you're right. Yeah, Jordy had that toy uh, way back when. My sidearm selection will... I don't think this is necessarily going to be a theme for me, but I am going to stick with Star Trek for my sidearm selection. You mentioned him early on in the episode, Gabe. Kivas Fajo. I'm selecting the Veron T Disruptor. This, you do not... Yeah, so anybody who makes fun of my McCoy hip chop selection is going to be victim of the Veron T Disruptor. It, It just tears the body apart inside out. It's very, very nasty and gnarly. And I'm pretty sure they used this prop as another kind of disruptor later on in the series. Didn't call it the Veron T Disruptor, but it's the Veron T Disruptor. If it's the prop I'm thinking of, I thought I always thought that was actually a pretty cool design, which is probably why they reused it. It is um, cool. It's a very sleek kind of, uh, you know what, it, it, it kind of actually reminds me of, it's the skinnier, slimmer version of, of the Cardassian Disruptor because it's got the kind of yeah. curved handle yeah, and, then exactly. the, and then the flat base to it. So the, the Cardassian version is just kind of bulked out from that. But the Veron T is, is very slim and, and sleek. Is that the one he uses, Picard uses when he's cosplaying as Galen undercover doing archaeology spy stuff? Oh, it might be. Yeah. I think yes. that's right. I think I think, that's where I, I think you're right. Up. Yeah, in what in what gambit? Yeah, that's yeah. yeah, yeah, you're right. But it's it's just like a it's just a bog standard disruptor right. in, that, in that. Yeah, yeah. But that's you're you're right. But nice. I'm going with Kivas Fajo locked in the vault. Phenomenal selection. Yeah, Jordan, what do you got? Uh, unlike my eldest brother, I am going to veer away from the Star Trek universe. And for my sidearm, I will be selecting Mr. Freeze's ice gun. Now, specifically, I want the one from the animated series. I do not want the Arnold Schwarzenegger ice to meet you rifle thingy. I want the one that's just nice and handheld. Uh, Mr. Freeze's ice gun specifically from the animated series. That's another one of those toys with the backpack attachment, Jay. That's a great one. You're going to see um, Bay's backpack with that one. I'm going to get my number one choice of sidearm, and I can't believe it. I'm grabbing Han Solo's blaster, DL-44, or what I think is what you, the designation you gave it, Gabe. I have no idea what it's called. The thing's chunky, and it's got like a, a you know, a, a big, like, uh, what do you call the end of a gun? <laughs> Yeah, there's sort of like a muzzle, like a, a flaring muzzle on it, yeah. It's got like a big muzzle at the end of the barrel. Uh, it, the, the thing just looks fantastic, and it really suits Harrison Ford. Like, we talked about Harrison Ford running in our Indiana Jones podcast. He can really do some accentuated blasting with this gun. See, so yeah, I'm going with Han Solo's blaster as my sidearm. And rolling into the next category of things that go boom, I am going to be inspired by Dan and grab Race Bannon's Bazooka from Turu the Terrible. Ideally, I would like to have a jetpack with it, but I, either way, I think I can do some damage with uh, Race's Bazooka. An excellent piece of uh, futuristic 60s tech there. Standard issue Quest Bazooka. Definitely not standard issue. Fantastic. Jordan, uh, your, your stuff that goes boom selection. 
my my things that go boom so i am i'm gonna attempt to select things from different franchises here so this is when i'll enter the x-men universe and x-men is always a, a cartoon that i was particularly fond of specifically i am going to be selecting gambits playing cards as my things that go boom though i'm not quite sure that they quite go boom so so much as they go like bam or like ping like i don't know if it's quite like a huge explosion but it's more like multiple smaller explosions and if i don't want to use them for that i can always like just play texas Hold'em with any you dorks and steal your money it's an excellent choice i was really hoping somebody would pick those iconic part of the character and just unassailably cool great choice uh dan your thing that goes boom my thing that goes boom will be oh i'm i'm torn i i was debating a, a Johnny Quest situation, but I'm going to steer away from that. I'm not going another Star Trek. I had one of those lined up too. I'm going to go Star Wars and I'm taking the Ion Cannon. Cool design built into the side of the icy cliff there. And you you watch it and you think, what in the world can that do? And then two zaps later, it has totally neutralized a Star Destroyer. So the Ion Cannon packs a punch and there's a funny family guy joke in there that probably is not necessarily appropriate for our family-friendly podcast. I cannot lie to you. I was thinking about exactly that. That's fantastic. All right. For my Stuff That Goes Boom selection, I'm also going to go, uh, I'm going to cut to original Star Trek real quick, and I'm going to take the Arena Cannon. I'm taking the cannon that Kirk built on uh, yes. the planet fighting the Gorn Captain. Uh, j- I figure, you know, we're already on Dorkfest Island. It's kind of a desert. There might be some materials there I can use to assemble it. I feel like that's uh, it's a good weapon I can source from my surroundings. That is a really ingenious selection there, Gabo. Love the, love the ingenuity implied there. Well, thank you. Um, and to continue things along, too, I'm going to pick for my vehicle uh, the Tumbler. Not just any Batmobile, specifically Christopher Nolan's design, because I feel like, again, given the Desert Island, I, I want the Batmobile that's going to be a little more ATV prepared, because I don't think, uh, as much as I love the animated series Batmobile, I don't think it's going to do well on the beach. I take the Tumbler. Okay, that's fair. I'm going to take a vehicle that's going to be good under any terrain, because it's the Back to the Future DeLorean, and it's going to be the flying version, so I can be on land, or I can be airborne, and if things go wrong, no worries. Flux capacitor, baby. I'm just going to go back in time and fix it. That feels like cheating, but I guess, again, I'll allow it. That's Jordan, totally a gadget. It's an invention. <laughs> it's fine. The thing never works right. He's, he's <laughs> a sitting duck. <laughs> For my vehicle, um, I'm going to enter the Star Wars universe, and specifically, I'm going to choose one both based in design and then also stealth purpose. And I am going to be selecting the Imperial Shuttle. This is just a ship that I think looks really, really cool. The way the wings kind of fold up when it lands is also just a really, really cool element. Also, you know, it's no secret that in Dorkfest, the competition and in Dorkfest, the podcast, I'm not going to be outgunning any of you. If I am going to be winning, I need to be doing so in the most stealthy way possible. So with that in mind, I will be incorporating the Imperial shuttle. So my vehicle is one of these um, GI Joe toys that I have reclaimed in my adulthood. It is 
the Thunder Machine, which I have brought along and I am showing the dorks. It's got two machine guns at the front and a great sort of like turbine engine at the back. It's the, uh, it's the vehicle of the Dreadnoughts, the, the Cobra subdivision who live down in the, in the swamps on the bayou. Always one of my favorite vehicles, the Thunder Machine is my vehicle. The front of it also looks like a catcher's mask. I am loving this. Which is perfect for me. Yeah, always, it's also like a, this looks like it could double as a Jurassic Park vehicle. Totally. Totally. Love it. Um, I think you also get then uh, first wild card selection to start. Yes. Out. Yes. And I am going to fulfill my childhood fantasy and strap an unlicensed nuclear accelerator on my back. I'm grabbing the Ghostbusters proton pack. Nobody else can have it. No worries about crossing the streams. I'm totally set. Totally would have accepted that under the sidearm care, uh, category. Josh, I hope you lose, but I'm happy for you. I'm happy for your sense of fulfillment right now. That's the kind of sweet trash talk you'll find here on Dorkfest, the podcast. Unless we're talking about Dan, in which case we don't, we don't really like him. Uh, but is Dan poised to get his revenge here in a little bit? He may. I'll jump in there now with my wild card selection Um, again from a different franchise. And again, making my wife proud, I am going to be managing some mischief with the Marauders map from Harry Potter, just so I can make sure to keep an eye on the business that all of you dorks are doing. Um, Marauders map for my wild card selection. What an excellent and ingenious choice. I love that. Excellent and ingenious choice. Not the words that will be coming out of people's mouths (laughs) after this selection, because I was going to make a real wildcard choice until that last little foray into my dorkdom. And with that, for my wildcard, I will be selecting Indiana Jones's hat. I've always thought that, you know what, I want to be able to pull off that hat. And the intimidation factor that comes with wearing that fedora, second to none. So I think wearing that, coupled with the arsenal that I've already put together, intimidation alone, my enemies, they're going to be just tucking tail and running in the other direction. It is, it, it is a complete image. Yeah, exactly. Image. That's me. Image. And when you think... Over substance. Correct. Oh, yeah. Oh, complete and utter, complete and utter guys and guile. That's what we have. That's what Worf would say, right? Guile. You might lose today, Dan, but that doesn't mean you have to like it. Darn right. I will not. I will not lose, and nor will I like it because I won't lose with my Indiana Jones fedora. Um, I'll finish us out with the wild card. And for my final selection, uh, I'm going to take along with me a Pokeball. And I'm, you know, I'm going to employ it as a last-ditch measure, probably. But if I need to, I'm going to see what's inside. No idea who, no idea who's in there. Uh, I have found a random Pokemon gen, uh, generator, set a uh, number to six, so that I will then roll a die to see what random Pokemon I am given out of that Pokeball. Glorious. Uh, that's the uh, the two-pointer wrapped up. And boy, I, I know I always say this. <laughs> yeah, I'll never make it easy. Can you do a quick but, uh, recap, Gabe? Yeah, I, let's do that first. This is for each individual guy, so we kind of know yeah. what everybody's arsenal looks like here. Totally. It's going to help me uh, think through this, too. Josh, starting with our, our first uh, drafter here, Josh, uh, hand-to-hand has uh, the Lirpa for his sidearm, has Hans DL-44 Blaster for his 
Boom. Uh, he's got Race Bannon's Bazooka from Two Rune is Terrible, perhaps with an optional jetpack. The vehicle is the Thunder Machine. The wild card is the Ghostbusters Proton Pack. Uh, moving to Jordan, hand-to-hand, he's sporting a Batleth Klingon sword. A sidearm is Mr. Freeze's Ice Gun from the animated series. Uh, stuff that goes boom, he's got Gambit's deck of playing cards. He'll be driving an Imperial shuttle and navigating with the Marauder's map uh, for his vehicle and wild card there. Dan uh, has is displaying finesse with the Dr. McCoy hip chop from the Sitting on the Edge of Forever in his hand-to-hand section. His sidearm is the Varon T Disruptor, belonging to Kivas Fajo. His stuff that goes boom is an ion cannon. His vehicle is the Flying DeLorean. Uh, and true wild card that he is, he'll be sporting the Indiana Jones fedora the whole way. Uh, and as for myself, uh, I'm carrying Glamdring, uh, a Gandalf sword from Lord of the Rings, and a uh, and a sheath on my hip there. Uh, on the other hip, I've got the Power Ranger blaster for my sidearm. I'm uh, going to try and assemble Jim Kirk's arena cannon uh, if I need something that goes boom. My vehicle is uh, the Batmobile, the Tumbler version from the Christian Bale, Christopher Nolan movies. And uh, for my wild card, I'll be throwing out a Pokeball, seeing what's inside. <sighs> Boy, it's a good thing there's only three of you. I think we all drafted very well. I should say that first. Uh, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of a lot of great stuff here, guys. I think I'm gonna have to give it to Jordan. Two points to Jordan for the audacity of the the ingenious of the of the stealthiness of the Imperial shuttle. I appreciate that, and I love the choice of the Marauders map. While while the three of us are fighting each other, Jordan's just gonna be sneaking around the island, keeping an eye on the rest of us, waiting for his moment to strike, probably in his Imperial shuttle, maybe raining down Gambit's playing cards on us. We'll have to see here in this next one, but congratulations, Jordan. That's two points to you. I appreciate the two points, mon ami. So now, here it is, folks. We've talked about the gadgets and gear at length. We've been down to Q Branch, and we can proceed with the mission. We're returning to our famed Dorkfest Island, but we're not bringing our favorite movies and music in tow with us this time. Imagine, if you will, we've all just been beamed from our separate locations to this island, kitted out with our equipment. A bodiless voice, probably a metron, might be the Melkotians tells us they've been listening to the podcast and clearly our contest cannot be decided solely by our knowledge of the force it's got to be a trial by combat and by the end of the day only one dork will stand the rest will be knocked out like in the movies we're fighting by pokemon rules here folks no one gets seriously armed what are we monsters no kill i we say anyway here we go we're starting this in bracket format and the two brackets are going to be the j boys josh and jordan uh in one and uh, the firstborn of their respective uh, siblings in Dan and I. Dan, Josh, I'm thinking of a number now between one and 100 to see uh, which one gets to sport their battles first. Josh, what is your choice? Five. Dan? 73. J-Boys will start. I was thinking of the number 23. And that's how arbitrarily this stuff gets decided, folks. I went with my favorite ball player as a kid, Jeff Bagwell, you should have gone with your favorite and 24 would have done it for you. It's the little things like that that decide Dorkfest. All right, so Jay, we'll, bring it on. So what we'll do here, folks, proceeding based on a high dice roll, we'll go down the list. And very technical. Start, very technical. Real, real detailed statistic stuff here. We'll pit hand-to-hand versus hand-to-hand, sidearm versus sidearm. And out of five, we'll see which dork emerges victorious. We'll proceed uh, on down the list until only one dork is left standing. So here we go. 
Josh and Jordan spot each other along the beach. They've just landed. They're unsure how to proceed. Each of them slowly approaches. It's going to start in close. The rolls. Jordan's bat left cuts straight through Josh's Lirpa to start with. Josh is left with the pieces as he splits the handle in twain, rolling a six against Josh's two. Oy. One to Jordan. All right. Come on, blaster. Don't let me down. They draw sidearms. <laughs> True to his draft, Josh quick draws Hans DL-44 blaster and ruptures a hole in Jordan's Mr. Freeze's ice gun. Freezes his leg to the ground. My goodness. One to one already. Yeah, no, it's... uh. Uh, playing cards versus bazooka. bazooka. I, I think I have the edge here. You guys might be in too close, but the devil may care. Jordan reaches into his back pocket for the playing cards. Josh pulls the bazooka out from behind his back like it wasn't there the whole time. And Race Bannon doesn't let him down. The play, yes. Jordan throws the playing cards. But Josh blows a hole in the sand right before Jordan, sending him flying. So Josh can end it right here. Yeah. Right? Come on, Thunder Machine. If the if the Thunder Machine can take down Shuttle Tiderian, yeah. then, yeah. then yeah. it's over. <laughs> My stealth tactics. Your, your stealth, your stealth You're pick may have it. gotten you two I'm, points, yep. but will it get you the victory? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to hide out. As Jordan flies through the air, his shuttle swoops down, plucks him right out of there. He falls right into the cargo. It'll work. It'll work. It's an older joke, sir, but it checks out. <laughs> They climb into their respective vehicles. Does it end right here and right now? It does not. No! Jordan swoops down in the Imperial shuttle, and much as the Thunder Machine avails itself well of the cannon mounted on its, uh, on its, on its uh, you know, front wow. part there. I'm not entirely certain yeah. how to call it. Um, Dropping it down on the planet Moon of Endor. Or... He plants it right down on the Thunder Machine. We are tied up at two apiece going into the final wild card round. Josh, emerging from the Thunder Machine from the burning wreckage of it, swings his proton pack to bear. Jordan pulls out his Marauder's map, and let's see what happens then. <laughs> oh, no. Josh incinerates the Marauder's map yes. with the blast from the proton pack, and Jordan suddenly yes. has no knowledge of where Total protonic is. reversal. <laughs> And Jordan, suddenly having no knowledge in front of him of where he is, or indeed where anybody <laughs> is, has no choice but to surrender and, and accede and, uh, and wait on the tiki bar out just off the island to wait for the <laughs> battles to be done. Someone will join him there soon. Josh emerges the victor from the J-Boys bracket. Uh, as it should be. Jordan, Jordan you, can, you can pay Janine where, you know, at, your, at your leisure. She'll send you the bill. Is that really the best job she can get? Ghostbusters, what do you want? <laughs> and now it turns to uh, the firstborn trying to duke it out. Starting with hand-to-hand, uh, -hand, I, I imagine Dan and Gabe both hear the commotion on the other side of the island and hustle to the scene, whether it is to assist someone or to maybe take advantage of the scene left over, we'll never know, because en route, they see each other running through the trees. They run in close. Dan... <laughs> Dan flattens his hand, ready to deploy a oh, Dr. It's, McCoy. It's flat, job. baby. <laughs> Gabe sort of smiles and throws a sword. I'm all, says, hopped, I'm all hopped up on Corgisine. Corgis. Well, this blade came from the Gondolin Wars, so I don't know what you got against that. 
And true to form, Dan tries to do the chop and, and Gabe relieves him of that hand. Yeah. <laughs> Rolling a four against Dan's two. Uh, it was a good try. You almost oh, got me, but it. I had a, had a little more reach with the blade there. If only your back was turned. Yeah. <laughs> Gandalf only slightly more aware than uh, <laughs> Lieutenant Kyle. That's okay. That's but, okay. Uh, we got yeah, plenty Dan, more weapons in our arsenal here. Dan, not to be deterred with his other hand, because yeah. he still has one. <laughs> it's correct. <laughs> For now. He draws his Baron T disruptor. Yeah, maybe short sighted selecting an appendage. <laughs> He quickly draws his Veronti disruptor um, that he has liberated temporarily from Kivas Vajra for this purpose. Gabe sheets glamdering and says, all right, we do it this way in like cool action movie style. You had to be there. It was awesome. Draws his Power Ranger blaster. It's close. Dan takes this one, blasting the uh, good. Power Ranger blaster from the face of the planet. It's a good thing he was aiming at the blast. You were aiming at the blaster and not my hand. Correct. Right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay, we're not, right. we're not yes. looking for anything gnarly here. I'm sorry about your hand, but you know, you, you know, it doesn't have to get violent. One to one, thanks to Dan's Veronti disruptor championing over the. I should have seen that coming. That that was probably going to do me better than the Power Rangers blaster yeah, did. But now. it's time for stuff that goes boom. And as Dan brings his ion cannon to bear, it's going to take like 20 minutes to calibrate. So gave him <laughs> enough time. Like all the items. <laughs> Sulfur, diamonds, a giant like bamboo tube, pairing <laughs> up some of my shirts for use as a fuse. It's great. I'm all battle damaged. We bring the respective cannons to bear. And uh, Dan's ion cannon obliterates Gabe's sparking. Yes. <laughs> sort of, it makes a bit, little bit of smoke, but it doesn't really quite take off. Didn't get the ratios right there. Yeah, Gabe. I don't think nope. I, I didn't do well in chemistry, and it shows here because it uh, the the diamond comes out the other end, but it kind of just rolls. <laughs> the, ion cannon, uh, the ion cannon sends Gabe skittering out from cover because there is no more cover thanks to the ion cannon. It is all electrified, and I don't want to be there. It turns to the vehicles. He we has not in, reasoned it out. Uh, we each jump in our respective vehicles into our respective cars. Frankly, it's it's Delorean versus. Ooh, yeah. uh, Tumbler. Oh, come on, Marty. 88 miles per hour, baby. Put this like, puppy to bed. Out. Dan revs it up just in time to blow by the Tumbler, as I guess I'm still trying to figure out how that weird drive pilot <laughs> in the car. But, and I'm trying to buckle in because, you know, safety. But then it's moving me to the center console. I'm not that flexible. It's stretching me all out. Dan guns it to 88, goes back in time, and basically just takes me out of the car. And so has, has the Libyans anymore. take care of you for me. This one is, uh, <laughs> or, or I guess, yeah, if that's how Dan chose to do it. So who knows? Uh -huh. game. But there it is. Dan takes this one. I don't even think we get to the wild card with this, right? That's... We don't even need uh, Indy's yeah. fedora because <laughs> it provided all the intimidation we needed. Wow. And I, here I was really hoping to throw a Pokeball at it. Two cousins, the same destiny. Hey, you got you got to you got to roll for the Pokeball just to see what. Yeah, Pokemon I want to see what Pokemon it was. All right, let's see. Um, Left on the sidelines. So I'm specifying too that this comes from the uh, the Kanto region. That's the original 150. I didn't want to get too much into this. You know, I got I gotta respect our own traditions as much as I like some of the Johto folks. Okay, it's a good spread here. Right on. I don't know that Pokemon. <laughs> it's um, it like it's a like, rhinoceros. Yeah, it's like type a stone. Deal? It's like a stone rhinoceros dinosaur. 
probably a rock type. He's got a drill for a nose. Yeah, rock round. That sounds like it wouldn't have stood a chance against Indy's hat. (laughs) We'll never know. Just keep leave him in the Pokeball. (laughs) We'll never know. And and since we'll never know, I can confidently talk smack about this and say that I will be (laughs) drilling through your hat with the end of my Pokemon's nose. Yep. Yeah, you can do that in your dreams because in reality, I'm moving on to the championship round, baby. Yes, you are. And, 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 and because I'm a doctor, I was able to reapply my own lost appendage in the previous round so that I have it back for proper choppage here in the championship. Well, if you get to do that, then I get, I get a fresh Lirpa. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Fair is fair. Well, I think Dorkfest Island runs on shore leaf planet rules, right? If we need oh, it. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. <laughs> These are all plaster casts being manufactured for us. Yeah, yeah Jordan and I have been whisked off to, you know, right. repair us. We've been some, some cabaret, you remember. We're the real winners. Yeah, yeah we're going to be just fine, but. You guys don't know that. So, you know, completely destroyed by guilt and driven by revenge and anger. Here it comes. It's the, the brother rivalry. It's Cain and Abel, man, here on Dorkfest Island. I mean, probably not that bad. All right, I'm overstating it. This is getting real dorky. But uh, I think that's uh, – No, yeah, you're, I, you're I, in the right neighborhood. I think you're understating it. Oh, dang. Let's go. Right, cool. Here we go. They meet, middle of the island, flames burning all around. Dan says something of our vanquished foes. <laughs> Dan says something cool like I'm here. And Josh eyes narrowed responds Kroika. <laughs> and with those simple words, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, it's like it's, it's like Dorkfest the podcast <laughs> Mad Libs. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, hand to hand, Lirpa versus Hip Chop. Dan, <laughs> close. Come on, Hip Chop. Oh my goodness, it's a tie. Somehow, <laughs> on a it's a five v five roll. Somehow, Dan intercepts <laughs> Hip Chop, the incoming Lirpa, and stops the blade like Neo in the Matrix Reloaded. Unbelievable. He raises an eyebrow, and they go back, <laughs> and we have to re-roll. They swing again. And this time, Josh again relieves Dan in his hand as the chop comes in. As the chop comes in, Josh simply steps to the side and lets the chop pass through thin air and replaces the thin air with his blade through Dan's hand. You are deep in the plot, toe. (laughs) That hand was destined for the Star Wars universe, the way that puppy's been lost. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's okay. Hey, we fell down one hand in the last round, and we rallied. As did I. As did I. Not good luck. Not good luck to win round one, evidently. We'll have to see. This is an interesting uh, face-off of sidearms. It's uh, very Western now. The sun's low in the sky. Dan's one hand tickles the hilt of his Veron T disruptor. (laughs) Josh already has unsnapped, very much like Han Solo in the cantina, the strap to the holster of his DL-44. It's a quick draw. And again, the Veronti Disruptor prevails and blasts the DL-44 right out of uh, Greedo's hand. There is no question of who shot first. It was Dan. Yeah, I bet you've been looking forward to this for a long time. Darn right. Kivas Fajo is just about now waking up and realizing that the 
Veronti sleeps with under his pillow is long since missing. The shot sends Josh scrambling for a little bit of cover. He uncovers race bands bazooka. Shoulders that, ready to fire. Dan, of course, scurries back to the ion cannon and gets that ready. It's already charged. He doesn't need the same amount of time. Thank you. Thank you. Find all my, uh, <laughs> so he jumps back in. They bring their targets to bear. Josh expertly places the shot to the ion disruptor. Yes! Race! That disables it just as it's about to fire. Race is my, my, my good luck charm. 2-0 with I'm Race Bannon's bazooka. I'm theorizing here that you actually did have the jetpack, and you might have actually, in fact, avoided a shot from the oh, eye. That's, that's what it is. Ready to yep. go. And with a little bit of height advantage, you were able to just get in, you know, make that uh, great shot, kid. That was one in a million. Blow up the big gun. That's uh, Josh standing with two and Dan at one uh, going right. into the final couple rounds. It's DeLorean time. Get a load of the thunder machine, you heathen. <laughs> Josh has quickly repaired the thunder machine, and uh, Dan has taken to the skies in the DeLorean. There's this baby hits 88 miles per hour. You're going to see some serious stuff. <laughs> the DeLorean yeah. again pulls its time tricks, and the thunder machine yes. is just not having a yes. good day, despite being the only one actually present for the proceedings, which we greatly appreciate because that's a great-looking toy. The DeLorean's time tricks allow it to drive straight through where the Thunder Machine was and undid everything that Josh did to repair it after its first battle. Great, Scott. We are taking these battles <laughs> to the wire, ladies and gentlemen. Two to two, all square, going into the final wild card round. Time to and whip out the fedora. Time for the intimidation factor. As Josh whips out the Ghostbusters proton pack. It's Indiana Jones versus Pete Venkman. Here we go. Archaeology versus science. What do we got? Call it fate. Call it luck. Call it karma. And what did you find, Venkman? (laughs) (laughs) Dan's been saving that Sean Hanks set for a long time. That's a good one. Uh, everything goes slow motion. The island burns. The proton pack charges. The fedora looks really cool in Dan's shadow. As slowly <laughs> the you faintly hear John Williams in the background. And somehow a little bit of the Ghostbusters theme, too. <laughs> it's about to be solved. <laughs> One way or the other. Can the stream cross the fedora? <laughs> it's a tie. Oh, I can't believe it. Somehow, the, <laughs> Josh the listeners the are never going to believe this. Josh hits the fedora square on. The fedora somehow absorbs the blast, creating a nexus to <laughs> creating the nexus. With Guinan <laughs> and a Christmas tree. They have no choice but to break off contact and try again. The hat sizzles but is otherwise unharmed. A second blast proves too much for the hat. Who are you going to call? Indiana Jones at the ashes. And Josh stands alone among the dorks, as we always knew he would, as the ancients prophesied that Josh stands as Dorkfest King with his proton pack. It's the (laughs) only way this could have ended, right? I suppose that it may have always been inevitable. It's, it's fitting that your dream childhood toy would be your victory tool in this 
clash of the titans it finished off both of my brothers yeah boy that says that says you you worked through some stuff yeah. here tonight yeah. <laughs> there, there, there were some pent-up feelings yeah oh yeah we, we, yeah gabe helped us work through some things yeah. this evening uh immersive dorky therapy is a new field that you <laughs> you're about to learn more we reach <laughs> we reach I'm not reaching because every time I reach, I get my hand cut off. <laughs> and now here at the end, all four dorks awake back on the island, repaired by the kind stewards of the weird mechanical below grounds we never get to see because they're conveniently off screen. But we're all fine here now. Thank you. How are you folks at home? I hope you enjoyed what we've done and uh, you know described and broken down here today. We had a lot of fun. Uh, we hope you had a lot of fun here along with us. Gents, anything to say to the folks as we depart today? Gabe, just a quick shout out to you with the ingenuity of this this whole format. Love the the creative directions that we're going in here on Dorkfest, the podcast. Oh, there there will be um, we will be marketing the Dorkfest gadgets, gizmos, and gears playing card game. It will be in a Walmart near you, 1999 retail coming up in three to six months. And if that's too much for you, don't worry. We'll have a coupon day. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. This game is not only intended for the super rich. Are we sure? Because we might have to get a couple licenses to make this really work. Yeah, it's <laughs> a fair point. There might be a few things we have to sort of, you know, pay tribute to. Thanks for coming along on this uh, this grand, dorky battle royale adventure with us. We hope you found uh, some fun stuff, some illumination, as Dan says, along the way. Again, please remember to rate, review, subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. You can find us at dorkfest underscore podcast on Instagram. We're always eager to hear from listeners. If you've uh, got anything you particularly liked or if you have an idea for a show, we'll listen to that too. But in the meanwhile, we've got no shortage of our own. So we hope you keep tuning in to listen to Dorkfest, the podcast. What kind of city are we running when we depend on the support of a potential madman? Such rot, sir. Why, you're the very model of sanity. By the way, I've pressed your tights and put away your exploding gas balls. Thank you, Alfred. Alfred.